Welcome to Medically Speaking, Auburn's own medical radio show with host Dr. Mark Vaughn of the Auburn Medical Group and Larry Finney. I, that's, that theme needs more cowbell. I know. You said this week you'd bring it. <laughs> I forgot it. I don't see it. I don't hear it. I only own hogs. They don't have bells. Oh, you don't you have defibrillators. The shock sound of the shock. On, on the hogs? Yeah. Okay, anyway, so uh, I'm Larry Fitty. I'm here with a couple of doctors. Uh, of course, our host. That's a paradox. Uh, Doctor, yeah, I know. Dr. Mark Vaughn and Dr. Dr. Brain Kim, according to our uh, <laughs> website. Now, he is a pretty smart guy, but I think it's actually Brian. Is yeah, that I true? I prefer Brian much better than Brain. Thank you. Okay. Brain. That's, uh, I will own it. That was my mistake. Okay. I'm the one who called him Brain on the uh, mailer or Facebook, wherever it was. I did it. All right. Several places, probably. Well, um, so Dr. Brian Kim, what is your specialty and um, why are you here other than the fact that you haven't talked to your colleagues and, and they warned you not to come here? <laughs> they failed to work. That's true. You're right. But uh, no, I'm delighted to be here. This is the highlight of my uh, week. Oh, man, that's sad. I, <laughs> Slow news day. I'm a uh, medical oncologist for Seto Medical Group here in Auburn. Uh, I was invited uh, by Dr. Vaughn to be here for a uh, phone, phone in medical show on medical oncology subjects and hopefully some blood subjects as well. So I'm delighted to be here. Because you are an oncologist, and a hematologist. That's correct. Okay, those are big words. Yeah and, yeah. and we need to explain them. Well, it means that he went through long training in one specialty and then went through long training in another specialty. Yes, but what are those specialties? <laughs> Let's start with, start with oncology. What, what, okay. what does that be for those so, who don't know? Tell us how the two go together, why it's one specialty, even though it has two names. I don't know. No, actually, uh, medical oncology is a specialty where we take care of cancers with medications. So oncology is the field of cancer therapy, and we have different uh, specialists, such as myself. I'm a medical oncologist, so I do the chemotherapy. We have surgical oncologists in the community as well as radiation oncologists. So radiation oncologists, such as Dr. Lindstad, are those that take care of cancer with radiation and surgery surgical oncologists such as Dr. Bradshaw take care of cancer with surgery. So a medical oncologist and a hematologist? Hematologist takes care of blood diseases such as anemia. So we take care of the gamut of benign blood diseases such as low blood counts, low platelet counts, bleeding disorders, all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum where we take care of cancers of the blood such as myeloma or leukemia. And they just happen to go together just because it's been a long tradition way before my time. So I don't know how they were paired up, but most training programs are both for hematology and oncology. Okay. I'm trying to think of a similar other specialty. I guess uh, rheumatology and immunology would be kind of a, a pairing somewhat sure. similar. Sure. A little more about yourself. Where did you go to school to get all this highfalutin training? <laughs> well, I originally grew up in Oklahoma but I ended up going to Brown University up in uh, Rhode Island for undergraduate school. Went back to uh, my state, University of Oklahoma, for medical school and did my postgraduate training, seven years of it, over in Emory, which is in Atlanta, Georgia. So it shocks me that you don't have some kind of a southern accent. Oh, if you want me to, I can talk like a southerner if you want me to. Okay, that would be good. I did you had a story where I was... Uh, <laughs> 
moonlighting when I was in a uh, resident in uh, my fourth year residency training. I was moonlighting at an emergency room in Atlanta in an inner city hospital. And this was after my usual 36 hours or whatever at the hospital. And I was really, really tired. And I was working at a in downtown uh, inner city hospital called Grady Hospital. So I was in my Grady mode in terms of talking to patients. And when I went to moonlight in the emergency room at the suburban middle-class hospital at the middle of the night when a patient came in who was an executive, you know, he had some abdominal pains. Here comes the doctor. I walk in and still in my Grady mode, I yell out, I ask him, so what be your problem? What you be hurting at? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you did? So, oh my God. What well, did I just say that? Will you be hurting at? <laughs> oh my goodness. I had a southerner explain to me, maybe you can confirm this, that the difference between naked and naked. I don't know. Explain I, that. Well, according to this guy, the southerner, he said that it's actually two different distinct words in the south. Naked means you have no clothes on. Naked means you got no clothes on and you're up to something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. All right. So before we jump into actually talking about hematology, oncology, I want to go over the, the stuff we usually do for our people who listen so they can know how they can be a part of the show. There's a number of ways. One way is they can Skype into the show and ask questions of, of Dr. Kim. They don't have to be sick. I mean, they, you, know, no. you don't have to be sick and show up here in the office to be part of the show. You, could you just, don't. You can. Yeah. Um, well, we we have, sometimes have a live audience. Yeah. Which we've done before. I remember at K. You remember at K High when we had all those people out in the the walkway. Yeah. On the way into the theater. I have to go through a, a colonoscopy next week, so I'm thinking of bringing the Ederol. We could record <laughs> oh. the whole thing. What day? Of course, it's <laughs> conscious conscious uh, sedation. I won't remember it. I can play it back. See what you said. Yeah. yeah. Right. That would be very interesting. I'd like to do that. Well, you may want to check your nails before and after your colonoscopy because your nails might be painted while you were under the uh, drugs. I was, was going to make a joke about where did this uh, tattoo come ethnicities, from? Ethnicities, but I, I won't do that. All right, let's go. Painting nails. The uh, the way that people can participate is by actually skyping into the show. If they're listening live, uh, then they're already on the live page, and all they have to do is go on the right side of it and put in their first name and email address that's all that's required to sign up for the newsletter and then that makes them eligible for uh if they call in uh, they can possibly be the one who gets the breakfast for two at tofanelli's up in grass valley 25 dollars value we still have that to give away okay so how are they going to call in well the way they would actually call in after they're on our email list is they would go over to the little skype button on the right side and click it and depending on your computer it may take a while for anything to happen <laughs> I, I experimented with it a little bit but eventually, if you do have Skype installed, it'll actually call in to the show, and then we'll be able to take the call and uh, put them in the their name in the basket for uh, winning the the uh, breakfast for two. Another way they can participate is just by writing in. Either uh, when we post the shows, they can comment below them, and we can have a, a dialogue going there, or they can uh, post on Facebook. One of the things we were really wanting to get from people, not so much about a medical topic, but uh, we were wanting to know what other podcasts our listeners are consuming. So go ahead and comment on today's show or on Facebook, uh, Medically Speaking Radio, what other podcasts you listen to. We're really interested in learning that. And of course, also, those people who listen on iTunes, they can write reviews on iTunes for our show, and they can also write a, uh, a review there. We've had some very nice reviews. And 
we haven't had too many nice reviews. You can write another nice review. We'd, yeah. we'd love it. Well, and if they don't want to tell us what podcast they listen to, if they don't tell us, we'll just ask the NSA. The NSA will tell us. And yeah. as far as writing the reviews on iTunes, uh, the reason it's nice for them to is because you and I, we're getting tired of making up pseudonyms to write them under. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have to come up with a new email address for every one. So. I know. Okay. So with that, coming back to the world of hematology. Now, sometimes we'll actually make the show timely. For example, when we talked about the University of Oregon meningococcemia problem a few shows back, we actually have a topic that has to do with blood that's in the uh, Yahoo Health News this morning. What would it be? Well, it has to do with aspirin reducing risk for prostate cancer, a study that was put on by a drug company. Of course. Uh, and was discussed at this conference at Duke recently. Had you had any knowledge of this before I just mentioned that? In terms specifically of aspirin uh, for breast for prostate reduction, no. Okay. So, but there are other uh, drugs, other uh, uh, medications. Certainly, this have been tried and looked at, but not specifically aspirin. And I would guess that uh, you're probably aware of which one they were actually checking. It was. I'm looking it up here off to the side. That's why I'm talking sideways. It was. Oh, it wasn't finasteride. It was something that's not generic yet. And I'm looking at the. The, oh, Dutasteride. I don't know the brand name of that one. Oh, I don't either. a urologist would know that. Yes. Most medical yes. oncologists, like myself, we yeah. end up taking care of prostate cancer patients usually in the advanced stages. So that's usually after they've gone through the hormonal therapy, after they've been treated for a number of years, we end up taking care of patients who have metastatic prostate cancer. So the high risk who have failed the routine hormonal therapy. So we end up seeing prostate cancer patients more towards the last stages rather than the beginning, which would be under the purview of urologists. Yes. And you work hand in hand with urologists. Well, you don't actually hold their hands, but you guys work together with urologists. I would never hold hands with a urologist. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know where that hand's been. That's right. <laughs> we, we should have talked to Dr. Janega uh, about urologist hands. Yeah. Actually, he showed us his finger. It was, it was very small. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, yes, that's, that's a very key ingredient quality uh, when you go check prostates. Which doesn't matter as much in uh, hematology, oncology, because you're not doing that many. Well, for uh, rectal cancers, anal cancers, I do have the occasional need to do rectal exams. So okay. I usually preface my rectal exam to the patient by saying, I'm not six foot 10, 250 pound with a huge finger. So that's right. that usually eases the uh, exam. All I have to do is tell them my shoe size is eight and a half. You guys you don't, don't get it. Yeah, uh, no. Right. <laughs> no, I'm just, just the, the mental image is not something I want to go. But I did want to ask Dr. Kim, um, in terms of, of cancer patients that you see or cancer uh, that, that are referred to you, what is the most common form or, or, or the commonest forms? Of cancer? Yeah. Communist? We yeah, still have that, communists here? Yeah, we, well, what? Okay. Auburn? What? Yeah. Well, in... <laughs> In terms of the common, People's Republic of, yes. yeah. Yeah, People's Republic of Plastic County, the NSA is listening. Oh. I should say most common. The uh, most common reason for referrals to a medical oncologist's office uh, are usually lung cancer and breast cancer. So I would say that those two diagnoses leads in terms of the frequency of new patient referrals that we get. 
we certainly get a whole bunch of uh, other cancers, but mostly breast cancer uh, and lung cancer. Because they're the most common. And then prostate cancer. Prostate cancer, as I mentioned, uh, more towards the advanced stage. So when the PSA is, the blood test for the prostate cancer might be 200 or 300. Or if they're failing hormonal therapy as the PSA is going up, for example, uh, maybe uh, the audience uh, probably knows that PSA is a blood test that we use for prostate cancer monitoring, and we like to see that number low. Let's say that again. Prostate cancer monitoring, not screening. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's something we talked to Dr. Janiga about also. Uh, and then after prostate cancer, probably colon cancer, or is it neck and neck with... Uh, that's a poor choice of words. Yeah. Neck and neck with uh, colon cancer as well, uh, GI malignancies. I happen to have a specialty interest in GI malignancies, so stomach cancer esophageal cancers, and um, uh, colorectal cancers. So do you actually get referrals from outside of our area for the GI cancers? Um, no, certainly within our Sutter system. Uh, we have over, I believe, in our medical group, at Sutter Medical Group, we have about 15 medical oncologists within the Sacramento region. Uh, so that affords us the flexibility of subspecializing within our field, Subspecializing to the point where we're a medical oncologist, but we also have an interest, per se, in female cancers like GYN malignancies, like ovarian cancer, or GI, or breast oncology. Okay. Let me take a moment here, and we'll jump right back with Larry. We're going to play a message from our sponsor. Auburn Oaks Skilled Nursing Center on Bell Road is a team of physicians, nurse practitioners, nurses, and rehabilitation therapists who are there during an extraordinary time in your life. We provide the necessary essentials you need to weather through the storm. Call us. The first thing we'll do is listen. Then you'll get expert advice on what to expect. You'll know that Auburn Oaks is the best skilled nursing care center when you learn more about us. Make the decision and go to auburnoakscarecenter.com. So, uh, Doc, I was going to ask you about, we're, ta- we're talking to Dr. Brian Kim, a medical oncologist, for those of you who just dialed in here. Um, of course, we're talking about cancer. Cancer is a scary word, Doc. Uh, what, what's, what's the general outlook these days, overall, for treatability and, and the prognosis? I will have to say the treatment uh, options that we have for cancer patients have really exploded. Certainly since when I first became a medical oncologist about 19 years ago, Till now, the amount of therapeutic options has just uh, exploded. Uh, specifically, more to the point, we have the ability now to probe for the genetic signatures of the cancer, which is an amazing thing that we didn't have the capa- uh, capability 20 years ago. But we can now drill down to the actual cancer. So, for example, if you have a patient uh, that comes in with colon cancer, for example, we can actually drill down to the cancer genetics. Uh, we'll have the pathologist send off the cancer specimen that was removed by the surgical oncologist, and they run genetics to see about the different uh, genetic subtypes, receptor status, and that way we can customize, customize our treatments so that we don't just give treatments, chemotherapy, but now we can give targeted therapy so that we can predict what drugs that might be better used and uh, work in certain patients to mitigate the side effects or decrease the side effects. Actually treating people as individuals. Customized uh, treatment, exactly. amazing. You know, we've taken drugs uh, such as Gleevec. Some of the audience participants may have heard 
There is a blood cancer called chronic myelogenous leukemia, or CML. Uh, oncologists, we love to use uh, abbreviations. So yes. CML is one of the leukemia. It used to be a very dangerous leukemia because patients would end up getting high doses of chemotherapy, would end up needing a bone marrow transplant, three months in the hospital, really toxic treatment. But nowadays, we've learned that the gene that causes CML has been identified. It's called a Philadelphia chromosome. But the Philadelphia chromosome, if somebody has a CML with Philadelphia chromosome, we have an oral medication, a drug. It wow. unlocks the damage that is done by this Philadelphia chromosome mutation, and it just unlocks the damage and makes the blood cells back to normal. And so CML has become just like hypertension, a chronic, long-standing disease that we treat with pills, and they never, never lose their hair or ever get sick, which is amazing. So it sounds like some cancers are becoming like, say, polio used to be in the 1940s and 50s. Now it's not so fearsome. You hardly well, see any cases of it. Well, you know, cancer is a very scary, dangerous diagnosis. I'm not saying that we now have the treatment for cancer. We have certainly made a lot of advances in oncology. We can make treatment decisions based on genetic signature and profiling uh, the targets that we can use in our armamentarium so that we can use pinpoint target therapy much more so than we did 20 years ago, obviously, much more so than we did five years ago. So every month they keep uh, new developments in terms of targeted genetic-based therapy, and it's actually estimated within oncology that up to a third of uh, oncology treatments will be IV in the future, but two-thirds, by vast, the most majority of cancer treatment will be oral, will be pills that we uh, can use to target cancer patients. Excellent. Your reference to genetic-based identification, I was thinking when you, when you went there, I thought you were going to talk about, say, the predictability of, of someone getting cancer based on their genetics. It, does, it doesn't work that way? Sure, no, that's another uh, avenue of... Uh, oncology, which is medical genetics, we actually can profile patients and their family members. So for example, I have a, a lady who's in her late 50s. She was diagnosed with a very aggressive type of breast cancer. And with her further history, we found that she has a strong family history of breast cancer. Well, short to the point, she ends up having the BRCA mutation or BRCA mutation. So her uh, breast cancer was actually a genetically driven breast cancer based by this abnormal BRCA gene. Her sister, her mother, both had BRCA mutations identified. And more importantly for her, for this patient of mine, her daughter would be able to be screened for the BRCA mutation and be identified as a high risk before the patient or her daughter gets cancer. So that's the beauty of uh, genetics as well. So if you're able to identify a patient as potentially high risk, is there a way to avoid the, the malady? So for different malignancies, different uh, genes, uh, absolutely. So for example, in this case, the daughter who was screened for BRCA mutation, a young lady in her 30s, she ended up undergoing evaluation for both a prophylactic mastectomy as well as getting her ovaries. So once she was done with her 
birthing years, once she was done with having her children, then the recommendation would be that she would undergo a prophylactic oophorectomy or getting her ovaries removed before she gets the malady. To do something so uh, invasive, invasive, radical, yeah, yeah, uh, as that, roughly what is her risk of having either ovarian or breast cancer? Sure. No, that's a very good question. For example, you know, Angelie Jolie. She uh, did it, yeah. She ended up having a prophylactic uh, mastectomy as well. The risk with BRCA mutations has been clearly identified in that it increases the risk of breast cancer by 80-fold. So it's almost like an 80% risk of getting breast cancer if you have a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation uh, and about a 80 to 90% risk of getting ovarian cancer in their lifetime. So if somebody, if a woman uh, is identified with a BRCA mutation, then we normally end up uh, recommending prophylactic oophorectomy before they've had their ovarian cancer. Okay, so you're giving us the uh, increased risk over baseline, but we don't know what the baseline is, risk is in the population. So what's that work out to? So for breast cancer, the general risk of breast cancer in the United States is about one in seven women in their lifetime will get breast cancer. So if you so, increase that risk 80, 80 times. <laughs> yeah, pretty high. Uh, that's very high. Yes. So that's where the genetics have wow. really come in. Uh, so patients who are identified with high-risk genetic mutations, such as uh, Lynch syndrome for colon cancer, BRCA for breast cancer, ovarian cancer, uh, those patients are definitely, there are definitely screening guidelines uh, that are put out by the U.S. Preventative Task Force and all the national guidelines uh, around the country that says, if you have these mutations, these are the risks for getting developing breast, uh, breast or ovarian cancer, uh, and our recommendations are to do something about it beforehand. But at this point, we're not doing general screening for BRCA, only in no. family members. The high risk, there are definitely high risk uh, patients and high risk population that should be screened. So not every woman should then go to the oncologist or the doctor and say, I want a BRCA mutation. Right. So the women at high risk would be if they have two or more uh, immediate family members uh, with breast cancer or three uh, breast cancers, I believe in one line of the family, two breast cancers plus an ovarian cancer. Uh, those are the high risk patients who need to be screened and uh, their, insurance, their insurance will cover for appropriate high risk patients screening. Are studies currently being done in general population without risk factors? It's advised not to go do screening for those patients because if they don't have the high-risk uh, high profile, we don't really know how to interpret the results of those mutations. So, for example, if an average woman with a 1 in 7 risk of developing breast cancer, for example, were to be screened for BRCA, BRCA, we don't know what to do with the results because that patient was not at high risk. And so you have to wonder whether it was a false positive result. Yes. And it's hard to tell a patient who doesn't have a family history with a abnormal mutation that was identified, identified on a blood test. You need to have both your breasts removed prophylactically right. and get your ovaries removed. That's a very aggressive. Do you have people requesting the test who don't have risk factors? Generally, patients will ask if they need to be screened, and it's our job to help educate them and uh, review their family history, go over the family pedigree. We actually draw little cartoons. I actually 
I think visually uh, is very important. So I draw out in the exam room a family tree, so a little circle for the female, a square for the male. And we actually go through the family pedigree, and you can easily see if they say, oh, you know, Aunt Sally had breast cancer, and she was on my mother's side, my mom had breast cancer, and then you can easily see the pattern on one side of the family lineage. Okay, yeah, you do have high risk. And conversely, if they say, well, Aunt Sally on my dad's side might have had esophageal cancer, Uncle Joe on my mom's side had you know, prostate cancer, we can usually visually tell the patient, you know, you don't really have high-risk features, so you don't need to be screened. But doctor, I want the test. If you want to pay $5,000, you can go get the test. <laughs> Everything has a price. Yes. The reason I, I did that is because we, we run into that. We, we have people wanting tests that are not useful for their situation. And, uh, and of course, we do the, the drawings and explanations, but uh, sometimes it doesn't get through. And how do you, how do you tell uh, those patients? Because you're in a uh, specialty where you, you have to see patients, uh, but you can't spend 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> I have the luxury of spending more time as yeah. a specialist. Yeah, the for you care. it's for cancers. For me, it's for cancer, heart disease, stroke, skin cancer, colon cancer. Well, and then Vision. give them a test that just gives them anxiety for no particular reason. Well, right? no, they already have the anxiety when they come in because I'm not ordering the test for them. Yeah. But they don't, would not benefit from having it. Because is, like you said, if it's a positive, it's just as likely a false positive if they don't have the risk factors. Right. And so, no studies have been done to suggest that uh, they would benefit from having treatment done based on. Let's the, suggest a future uh, show. We could do a show on hypochondria. Oh yes, I but could. we can't do that right now. I, I wanted to. I wanted to move on to um, blood diseases. To what disease? Uh, bl blood diseases. Okay. And, and let's also, in addition to the question of blood diseases, um, invite our listeners to Skype in. Yeah, and, uh, and if and if we don't get somebody to Skype in, I have an emergency box here. We can open the box. There's, I have. It's a box of emergency caller. <laughs> It's a new invention I have, so if we don't get a call in the next, say, five minutes, I'm going to open the box of emergency caller. That reminds me of the things that Batman would have on his utility belt. Yeah. Just whatever he needed. Yeah, absolutely. That's what yeah. I got. I, w I went on the Anti internet. Anti-shark spray. Yeah. yeah. I, I, went, I went on the internet and looked for emergency caller, and I you found get that, one. So did I you got. get that at Walmart? Yeah. Oh, wow. Imagine a box, and whatever you want, when you open the box, it's in it. Well, I Any, got one. Anyone? Anyone? Wow. Lost. Oh no! I, I I stopped watching that show. Oh, yeah, right. I, I, I gave up. Somebody somebody <laughs> warned me off of it. Said that you know the ending was really stupid. So I just yeah. Yeah, and I'm still bitter about the ending. Okay, yeah. uh, callers, uh, you can Skype in, and oh wow, look at all those callers. Okay, we I'm not callers, but listeners. Yes, we have listeners. Uh, you guys can Skype in by clicking the little and S you know who you are. Them. You know, you know who you are because you're listening to us live, and we know you're there because we can see the number. So you guys go ahead and hit the little Skype button off on the right side. It takes a little while for it to come through. And I'm listening for the little... Well, here's, here's the problem, sound. though. When we, we say this, some of this is, is, could be recorded in the future. So in the future, this isn't really happening real time. So now would be April 11th in the year of our Lord 2015. Well, I mean so the people who listening. are listening that's, on that's the live I mean. page. They unmistakably are listening now. Well, I just don't want to confuse people millennia from now who are <laughs> listening to this and going, I should call. Yeah, it'll be too we, late. we won't be here. Yeah, I don't think we'll be here. No, we won't be here. Did you hear about, um, oh, what's that agency that 
I don't know if they still have funding. Their purpose is to communicate with extraterrestrials or find extraterrestrials. Apparently, they they decided to send something to um, intergalactic space for the aliens. Did you hear about this in the news recently? No, I've heard similar stories. What they're sending them? Uh, No, no, but I've heard about the mission trip to Mars. But go ahead and keep on going. This is something else. This is for extraterrestrials. I would send them the Buddy Holly catalog, the entire (laughs) catalog of Buddy Holly songs. Apparently, they sent them the internet. They sent them access the to somehow access to the internet, and somebody asked, you know, if if they ever get to the uh, internet comments, they're obviously gonna oh <laughs> no not to <laughs> those even, people are already oh, on not even attempt to make contact with us. Okay, so uh, you want to talk about blood, but did we want to open up our box of uh, guests? Box guest? o'collar. Box o'collar. <laughs> All right. Okay. Somebody call her. I'm gonna open the box. You go ahead and talk about blood, and then we'll see if we can open the box. Okay, so you, uh, so one of your other specialties is uh, hematology, which is diseases of the blood. You mentioned cancers. Obviously, there's various, you know, leukemia, et cetera. But there are some less, uh, less frightening forms of, of blood disease. Well, just what sure. what is the gamut? Sure, we have patients who have low blood, uh, commonly called anemia. But those patients are the ones that have a slight decrease in their red blood count. So they may feel fatigued, and uh, patients might have a, a little uh, bleeding episode. So it's hard to tell, but they usually present with uh, weakness and uh, low blood counts. Uh, that's fairly common. A lot of the population uh, around the community does have anemia. You could run the gamut from bleeding causes from an ulcer or polyp, or you could actually have patients with kidney disease. In this day, with diabetes and high blood pressure, patients can have anemia of chronic kidney disease, but we have an uh, antidote for those patients. So there's a medication, a shot, that works beautifully to get the hemoglobin built up and get the energy built up. So we've come a long way. We have a lot of different options. I remember seeing commercials as a kid. Though I can't remember what the, the over-the-counter product was, but they, they asked, do you have iron-poor blood? You know, is, it, is that the issue with that? It's just low iron or? Yes. And one clinical pearl I can give perhaps your clues out there who are listening in. Um, if you have a severe craving for ice. Ice? Like frozen water? <laughs> ice you as know? in ice chips. Oh. Is actually a malady called pica and they can... Uh, probably Google to a next, another window as they're listening and l- look up the word pica, P-I-C-A, Those and people ice. Eat, eat paint chips and, and, and they, they do, they do. Yeah, oh yeah. my goodness, you're right. It's yeah. just not ice, but I actually, pica is a generic word for cravings for certain things, not just ice. Yeah. So they can have, I think I had a lady who had a pica for starch. So the point of it is they have this craving to the point where it's abnormal. So this lady had boxes of Argo starch in her closet, in a oh, pantry. Oh, we're not talking about pasta. She's t- she's eating. <laughs> we're yes, eating, eating she starch, was starch, starch, straight starch. Uh, some patients have uh, pica symptoms for dirt, as in the South, they eat clay. Um, some some patients have had anyway some very unusual food cravings, but the most common is ice. If a woman, most exact, most likely a premenopausal woman who's having heavy periods, they end up having iron deficiency anemia where the hemoglobin is really low and they get really 
white, pasty, chalky, feeling weak, but they have this craving for ice. And I guarantee you, when I ask patients in my office, do you have any cravings for ice? Their eyes just just get huge and they go, nobody's ever asked me that. My dentist has been on me because my teeth are cracking. My husband, he's getting tired of me asking him to go to Safeway once a week to buy bags of ice because our freezer can't keep up with my demand for ice. And I usually will ask them, do you have a restaurant that you go to? Because you know that that restaurant has the soft crushed ice. The best ice. And they go, oh my God, yes, I'll go to 7-Eleven or I'll go to this restaurant. But the point being, ice uh, is a symptom. Ice craving is a symptom for iron deficiency. And their hemoglobins may be half of what it should be. And they're really low. They're very anemic. And they manifest themselves by fatigue and ice cravings. There's no iron in ice. <laughs> and it's, just... it's a metallic taste. I think oh. when the patients ask why, what, 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 how does that work? I tell them that it's because the body is craving iron. The body needs iron to build a red blood cell. And in the face of iron deficiency, the body goes, give me iron. And so they crave ice, which uh, the uh, mouth has a, a taste bud that tricks the body to thinking that it's iron. Okay. Yes, I, I know somebody who craves candy. Otherwise, you'd think and they'd be down at Home Depot <laughs> chewing on nails or something. And, and he's convinced that somehow they're, it's because his body has some kind of deficiency that they satisfy. Right. Yeah, kind of like the ice for the iron. It's called diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> sure, and the beauty, you just give them I, uh, iron IV, and it cures that instantly. Mm. So within uh, a couple of days of iron infusions, the pica symptoms go away. They stop eating ice. They stop being referred to as the ice lady at work because some of the ladies oh will goodness. actually have uh, <laughs> chunks of ice at work that they're chipping away every day during lunchtime <laughs> to get their little uh, chips oh, of ice. These poor people. And the family members that have to <laughs> be around it too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know what? I may have to open the box of uh, box of color. Can we? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to, okay. I'm going to dial the Skype number now. Or Skype, the Skype will be Skype calling. Skype <laughs> Oh, we have a Skype call. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead, caller. Uh, what's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, my name's Debbie. Dr. Kim, I'm wondering, how often should I do a breast exam? <laughs> uh, is this a G-rated show? Wait, why are you laughing? <laughs> the recommendations are for monthly breast exams. And for women at the age of 35, get a baseline mammogram. And then starting at the age of 40, the screening mammogram is once a year. But in terms of a breast self-exam, a woman in all seriousness should do a breast exam once a month, usually around the same time of the cycle. I understand they say to do it in a warm shower. Why would that be? I have no idea. But it is recommended to do in the shower. But I guess most people don't like to take cold showers. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Uh, Debbie, where are you calling from? Roseville, California. <laughs> Debbie, did you have anything else you wanted to ask Dr. Kim? No, thank you. Debbie, thanks for calling in. We appreciate you calling. You're welcome. Uh, I was hoping she would say like, It makes know, a sound when you... Paris or whatever. <laughs> Make what's the sound skype makes when they hang up oh that's right 
Uh, <laughs> That'll work. Okay, I, I have to give uh, equal time to the... Oh, what's it called? The National... No, no. Health Services Preventive Task Force. That's it. Yes. Health Services Preventive Task Force uh, by the NIH yes. uh, recommends against uh, training patients to do self-breast exams. Do you know why? You know, the medical oncology community has a strong uh, feeling about that. The U.S. Preventive Health Task Force has come out with certain recommendations that we agree with and certain things such as no need for screening mammograms. That was, that was a recommendation that came down the pike that we as oncologists just absolutely don't agree with. Well, not no mammograms. It was that they were dropped it down to every other year, right? Yes. And the recommendation for that is based on the lack of, I think, long-term data showing that there was any significant survival differences between yearly and um, biannual exams. From my clinic experience, I've seen so many uh, mammograms that have picked up early pre-breast cancer, some called DCIS, uh, or very tiny sub-centimeter or less than one centimeter invasive cancers. So it's hard for me to think that by waiting uh, another year that you uh, uh, don't have any improvement in overall survival. Um, we see so many cases of early breast cancer detected by screening mammogram that most patients, when they come into my office, they're very happy to have had annual mammograms. Interesting. I think we're seeing very different perspectives on this. On this, Because the, the long-term data isn't showing an improvement in survival. And there's patients that you aren't seeing in the oncologist's office, and those are the ones that never needed to be referred, but are being affected by the recommendations. And that would be all of the patients who have false positives get a biopsy. Sometimes it's uh, deforming or, or disfiguring. Uh-huh. And, and so you have that side of it too. I think there's an attempt to get a balance between how much disfiguring are we doing to patients who don't have breast cancer because of overdiagnosis or overtesting versus not missing anybody who has cancer. But if I could make a plug here, uh, if I could make a plug for Sutter Alban Faith Hospital as well as all the Sutter-based uh, hospitals, we now have uh, the latest technology in terms of screening mammogram utilities. So it used to be the standard 2D uh, mammograms, uh, otherwise called uh, crushing their boobs, you know, they, right. they come in and they get two, yeah. uh, two views refrigerator of refrigerator door slam. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. The, the boob smasher uh, 2000. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's what they call so it. So we now have, uh, from that to computer aided, uh, mammograms where the computer helps the radiologists interpret the images to where now as of March, 2015, just a month ago, Auburn Faith started using the new 3d tomosynthesis technology. So we now have a mammogram with 3D capability equipment here in Auburn, as well as in Roseville, as well as downtown Sacramento. The uh, 3D mammogram affords the ability to get better definition and uh, the resolution on the mammograms are really nice. So to the point where the dense breasts of some of the younger premenopausal patients 
that ended up used to being called back for additional views from the standard mammograms, we now have, with 3D tomosynthesis, a much better technology tool to evaluate the breast and lessen the hopes of getting a false positive that you were referring to. Who are the patients who are going to get the 3D tomosynthesis? Anybody that goes to uh, get screen mammograms. So, so now that's what they're doing for standard screening mammograms, annual or semi-annually? Yes. Uh, the, the recommendation has now moved to getting 3D mammograms because the the downfall, the pitfall had been that the radiation exposure in 3D mammograms versus mm -hmm. 2D mammograms was thought to be a lot higher. Uh, they have somehow tweaked the machines. The technology has improved the machinery to where the radiation exposure is only approximately, I believe, 1.2 of a standard 2D mammogram. So it's not a significantly high radiation exposure anymore. So you get much better resolution, a much better, clearer picture of a dense breast with minimal increase in the radiation dose. As far as expense, do we know if this is covered just the same by all standard insurances? It is. It's a standard okay. uh, accepted screening. Uh, so it happens. You don't even have to ask for it or think about it. Just like uh, getting a mammogram. Uh, yes. Uh, if Excellent. you order a screening mammogram, uh, because we now have uh, 3D equipment here at Auburn Faith, patients will be used uh, uh, screen with, I'm sorry, with uh, 3D tomosynthesis. Is this also at Auburn Imaging? I don't know the answer to that. I'm okay. sorry. So if they want to for sure get that, they want to go to the Women's Imaging Center at Sutter Imaging at the hospital. Correct. Sutter Auburn Faith Hospital. Correct. Or they're... Or their primary care physician could uh, um, put in the order line to do a screening mammogram with 3D, which is a very simple uh, order. Okay. Well, speaking of plugs, uh, Dr. Kim, if our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, what would be the best way? Uh, through either the Sutter's uh, website, Sutter the, Medical Group, the, or... The link on, on this post yeah. on uh, Medically Speaking Radio goes right to them. Well, I was hoping you just drop a phone number, you know. Yeah, your phone number? Oh, you're challenging me now to know my phone number. Oh, my God. No, actually, I believe it's 916-453-3300. That would be for the Roseville office. Uh, SMG Oncology uses a generic number. So okay. uh, the 916-453-3300 will get you to our call center in lovely Salt Lake City in Utah, and they will then direct the phone call right back to California okay. to Auburn. So we'll hear that accent from the people in Utah when the call center picks it up. Okay, thank you for joining us, Dr. Kim. And thank you to our caller, Debbie from Roseville, right. who, who just appeared uh, on the phone. Yes. Wait, it's a one-use uh, uh, item, by the way. The caller in a box can only be used one. It's gone. It's like the three wishes from the yeah, genie. You have to go, yeah, I have to go buy a new one now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't know that when we used it up. Yeah. Well, we used it wisely. Okay, it was worth it. Thank you again. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure to be here. And hopefully I've been able, able to help your audience with yeah. some information. Oh, yeah, actually, you're uh, stepping on the floor. Reminded me, that sound that you've been hearing through the whole show is Dr. Kim stepping on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they can hear it or not. But if they've been hearing it, that's what the sound was. It's People like wondering. Horse. It's like, are they what? moving furniture? <laughs> no, no. It's restless feet. Restless foot syndrome. <laughs> we talk about, went from pica to restless foot syndrome. <laughs> We'll have to get a neurologist to speak about that. We had this one guest. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you again. We look forward to having you and speaking about more specific oncology and hematology topics. Be delighted. All right.
And as usual, this is, well, this time, Dr. Kim joining Larry Finney and Dr. Mark Vaughn telling you, until next time, to stay in good health.